All right. Well, you and uh, Barry O'Reilly, who is he related to the book O'Reilly, Tim O'Reilly? I wonder that. I, 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 I wondered that when because he was a co-writer of Lean Enterprise, among other things. Was. But yes. then I, I heard the webinar y'all did and he doesn't have an American accent as far as no. I know my accents. So I'll have to look He's that up. Irish. And see if, I mean, it's not like O'Reilly is a rare name. So I'm sure there's chances are, <laughs> chances are high that he's a, he's a, he's a not book O'Reilly. Anyhow, I was rereading through it and, and, uh, and, uh, uh, I came across this passage, which, which I both, there must be, you have to tell me, there must be some, some, uh, German word that's the equivalent of like, kind of like a present winsome where it's both very satisfying and very depressing at the same time. <laughs> right. It's, oh, it's very, it's very evocative. And so I was, I read this word, this, this, here, I'm going to read it to you. And then, and then, uh, and then I want to know all about it. Like what's going on here and your experience with it. And it goes like this slide decks, paper proposals and steering group sessions all take a significant investment to prepare, avoiding difficult conversations of socializing and re-socializing in advance of exec meetings, deferring decisions, requesting a raft of meeting minutes to document, correcting, amending, and signing them off. This is the point where I started to like, my heart rate was increasing and I was getting very, <laughs> very upset. <laughs> the, the majority of which few people read. And then it goes on for a little bit, but then, but then this is the part that like, is, is like great. It goes, the speed of these cycles determines the heartbeat of the organization. And this is, this is like, this is like some, a thought that I've been having in, in, in recent times in the last couple of years as I look into the, you know, all this change management and digital transformation stuff is oftentimes in large organizations, the, I'll, I'll summarize it by saying meetings, but the meeting becomes the deliverable. Right. Like going through this process and doing doing these these things becomes the actual product that you work on. And so so, you know, as one of the co-authors of the report and someone who um, has worked in large organizations like. Why is that? That does that doesn't seem like a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder. Well, first of all, let me say I'm so glad that uh, this paper got your heartbeat to change. <laughs> even if it's not for a good reason. So um, that's good. Um, but it shows you um, it hits a nerve. And I think it hits a nerve for most people. And as you said, this whole idea of that the meeting is the purpose um, that was something that hit home with me, or I had a real light bulb moment when someone explained to me, and they had to explain it twice. Maybe that's my, I don't know, maybe I wasn't fast enough there. But people explained um, there's a difference between output and outcome. And the output is you've achieved a milestone and you have maybe had a meeting, you've written a paper and you've got approval, but that's not a customer outcome. It doesn't add value. So I've started shifting my thinking to say anything that happens in the four walls of our building or now in the virtual four walls of our building, that's um, an output to simplify. So I've started to think more and more about what are the things that leave our four walls and go to our customers that add value to our customers. Mm. Anything that happens in the four walls, how can we make that as lean as possible to produce more that goes out the four walls to our customers. And that's when I started to look. And and the more you start looking, the more you realize um, how many slide decks we produce, 
how many conversations we have. And, and in some of the slide decks, we spend time preparing them, writing them. Then we make sure we go to every person that might sit in a big and important meeting and make sure they're comfortable with the slide deck until we go in the meeting and then everybody agrees in the meeting that the slide deck is great. So I've started a little bit of a, of a movement to see that we can do less of that and more of having the actual conversations because I think it takes a lot of time, but I'm not always sure that it adds value in every situation. Yeah, you know, I, 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 think that, I think that's a good framing up of it is the, the inward looking versus the, the outward looking to yeah. you know, have it less spatially bound <laughs> uh, but, or, or in a different way. But yeah, yeah, no, I, I mean that, I think, I think there is, uh, uh, you know, I mean, to, 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 to be a little uh, TMI, as they used to say of my job history, like I had this, I had this interesting, very career beneficial and not, and you know, it was good for my intellectual and curiosity uh, job and strategy and M&A at Dell. And like mm. a large part, I mean, it was, it was, I've already done the, uh, the, the, the praise thing and now I'll get to the, uh, the bad part, the, uh, <laughs> but, but the, like the, that, that description of what you're saying in that passage is a huge part of like why I left that job when I could, because so much of it, I mean, strategy is strategy and corporate planning, which is to say the annual financial process and acquisitions are a different sort of beast than making a product that customers buy. It's almost like a product for the company, but still, I, th I think, I think everything you said still applies in the sense of why are we doing this, <laughs> right? Like this, this does not really achieve the outcome. Not, not even that it doesn't achieve a valuable outcome because you do get to a valuable outcome, but it's so inefficient. <laughs> to, you get to, to consensus. Yeah, you get yeah, to consensus. Yeah. But is there an easier way and, uh, to get consensus? And one, one thing you need is like the, the air in the building, so to speak, needs to change. To get a consensus, mm. can we have an open conversation? Can we gather around a whiteboard? Can we create the ideas together and drive that consensus rather than um, being used to writing offline a slide deck and then trying to build consensus with people? So yeah. it's also a habit that you can change and you need to show people how to change it. But it requires openness and, and a bit of vulnerability to do that together. Yeah. Wait, do you, do you, have you, have you uh, contemplated the Amazon six page memo trick? Do you think, do you think that would, uh, I mean, I mean, you're sort of like changing the medium in hopes that the message is the wrong thing, but to stick with that thing, you're changing the medium in the hope that it like fixes the message. Do you think, do you think like a six page memo would do anything beneficial? Uh, we've started actually doing that. We've uh, we've got a new chair who um, is asking for papers, and and I think we're experimenting and we're learning writing those papers. And I think it's a really good thing um, because we're we're learning how to how to put that thought, how to put a coherent thought together, that mm. and then read in advance. Right, right. Talk about it. You don't have that coherent thought in a PowerPoint. And if you're one of the unlucky ones who are not very good in designing and making PowerPoints beautiful, it's even harder to um, win in the PowerPoint design war and, and have coherent thought in there. So yeah. I think it is definitely something we've started doing. And I think it's a good thing to move in that direction. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I, I try to voice that on people just unknowingly every now and then just to like experiment <laughs> with it. And and like what what I... 
I, I think I think kind of like you're saying, it has to be an official experiment, so to speak, that you're doing. Because yeah. what I sort of find is like people just don't read it, <laughs> which which might be more of like uh, I I both I both like talk and write too much. I should be more concise, <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it would be. You know, I think I think that's the you brought up the other part of the the six page memo that I think people look over, which is what is it? You take fifteen or twenty minutes, and everyone just reads it in the meeting at first. Like that's a yeah. vital part. Yeah, and and the other point I wanted to pick up on is um, the word heartbeat that that you mentioned in mm. the paper. I think the the other important aspect that we should talk about is when you reduce the time or the intervals in which people can look at um, big documentation, big presentations, you therefore give people less time to prepare for them. Mm. And people are more comfortable with an MVP style document than something that they've gone back to over weeks and weeks to prepare for this big once in a month meeting. If, if So if these big governance meetings happen more often, you reduce, so, so to speak, the effort of the input in, in a good way, in a healthy way. And things can can flow. This is the same as as reducing batch size for delivery. It's the same for governance of an organization or, or of a, of a function in an organization. Yeah, no, and and that that point comes up <clears throat> several times in uh, in in the the write up that y'all did, which is sort of um, what, what what is the point? It's sort of like don't do so don't do a big batch of work i mean i i, I reduce it down to a very like uh, small <laughs> yeah. thing but but it's it's interesting you bring that up because it is it becomes like a vicious cycle of we have these big planning meetings which require a ton of upfront work which also mean that like because i don't know if it's so much a sunk fallacy because that implies that it's the outcome is it, it it's it's sort of like this fallacy of like because this is so valuable we need to spend more time on it <laughs> right yeah. and then and then so you yeah. you go around and around in this cycle where like until you know you're spending more time doing something you're stressing out more then it's a bigger batch of things then the meeting's more important yeah. and then it has to be more perfect and then next thing you know you're on this like like in my mind like doing things in the traditional way at at a corporate planning level takes like it's actually I always get lead time and cycle time and whatever, but mixed up, but from idea to actually like executing is like 18 months. Right. Cause someone sort of has this idea, like at yeah. the beginning, they're like, you know, next year they're, they're like in, I don't know, May and maybe they're on their, their spring vacation. And you're like, you know what we should do next year is we should do whatever. And so they're like, now I've got to engage with the finance people and like get, get them looped in. And then, they have to go through a whole process of allocating the finance. And anyways. I think the smaller you make that, the less people have to worry about perfection. And the other interesting thing is you add then um, things like, do you know the psychological um, um, concept of effort justification? So, so no. the, more, the more effort you put into something, mm. you think it's, uh, it's pretty amazing and something you should be doing. So you get also more emotionally attached to something, which is probably then also not healthy in terms of, of understanding what's the right thing you should be doing. Right. Right. You need to have more of a, a Buddhist strategy, just like Maybe. just complete disattachment. This, 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 this <laughs> strategy be- is not me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should int- think about introducing that too. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, uh, so this is a, this is a good time. What, what, who are you? Why don't you introduce yourself? 
I, I still wonder that for years, who am I? <laughs> Um, so my name is Jana Werner. Um, I work as uh, head of transformation at uh, Tesco Bank. And we are running an organization-wide um, transformation program. And it's been a huge, huge uh, challenge, but also really amazing experience. Um, sort of leaving no stone unturned and looking at uh, technology and data deliverables, but also at um, new propositions and and abstract things like how do we work so i i keep saying to people if we just deliver a bunch of stuff a bunch of new technology or features it's more delivery of what um so i was really passionate about looking at thinking about how we deliver and and changing and improving how we do things and that's sort of the the key part that we wrote this paper about and the observation of how we're working and how can we work in a way that is um, really customer centric, faster, more efficient, but also that's more enjoyable. I keep saying to people, we spend so much time at work. Uh, I think it should at least be a little bit of fun. And, and I think <laughs> if you can deliver just a little bit. <laughs> and uh, I think if you can deliver faster and more and, and really be more connected to customer, it's more satisfactory. You, you read all these ideas and reports that the, the thing that makes people more satisfied at work is when they can be productive. So that's sort of what's what's driving driving the idea of looking at how we operate, and that's driven the insights of the paper we wrote. To to get to give a little bit of background, how did you how did you end up as a head of transformation? That's uh, <laughs> I asked that... for it. <laughs> <That's cool>. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I I mean, I mean like uh, uh, you know, sort of, sort of career wise, right? Like like is career-wise. it uh, did you did you sort of just like kind of stumble into that, or is it is that a very deliberative thing that one gets into, or like what? Uh, how do you how do you uh, it, find your way into that? It wasn't for me. I think the the background is that I've sort of have a bit of a of a background of different directions, and I think that helps for transformation. So I've. Mm. I've worked and led a product development in a startup um, when digital imaging went big and we managed to see. I've uh, worked in a scale-up. So I've worked in a camp- in a small startup, 50 people in a scale-up that went from two people sharing a hotel bed to sell something up to a thousand people really successful, then to a big company, the largest logistics provider in the world, DHL Global Mail. I looked at their massive vanity madness program of trying to change an IT solution globally in a waterfall program. Mm. It's fascinating. Um, I was lucky enough to work in different parts of the world in a couple of research institutes um, on digital user experience things on stuff like Alexa in, in 2000 before anyone thought about Alexa. So it was really great. I worked with some fascinating people that think diagonally and uh, octagonally and some of them early developers of the internet so really cool international experience different sectors and then also a good stint of research i did a i did a phd on on um um sort of dynamics of how information flows through big programs and how it gets distributed ah. and how it changes and and how the flow of information determines how things happen in programs and, and how decisions are made. So, so a bit of practice in different, different sizes and sectors and a bit of theory in different parts of the world. And maybe that's a, that's a healthy mix to do transformation because transformation 
tends to be a healthy mix of things. Yeah, especially like you're saying the uh, uh, you ever read that book? What's it? Called? I know I actually never finished it because it's like 800 pages and, you know, I, then I probably haven't read it, <laughs> <laughs> but it was called uh, The Information. And it was like it was it was one of these like historic books where, where the where the author has like a, a. A different framing for a seemingly boring if, and also shallow topic, and it was basically like the the kind of scientific history of information from like the beginning of time. So it's sort of like, yeah. you know, it's sort of like, you know, people grunting at each other early on. I don't remember the beginning. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm kind of yeah. confusing it with Sapien, that other book that's like a, uh, a fanciful framing of history, but like, and, yeah. and the part that I start remember, you know, then there's writing of course. Uh, and then there's uh and then there's like those like semaphore towers that used to be all over like Europe and like the se- 16 and 1700s where you could stretch them out and do semaphore really quickly across them. And like, you could really yeah. send information quickly and tell it anyways. And then it gets to uh, this guy, uh, I forget his first name, Shannon something. And he does yes. all this information theory work. Um, but it's That's more- where I started. I left the stuff before that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, 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 and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like his study, I mean, it was, it was really theoretic information stuff, but it kind of got reduced to, not reduced, it became most practically used when it came to information over um, electric stuff, over networks, right? Like what's the yes, fidelity right. of information? But then what you were describing was almost like, you know, I like this term meatware, which is like not software or hardware. And it's almost like, it's almost like meatware information network theory, right? Like as this information goes through people and organizations. Yeah. Like how does it lose fidelity and how does it transform? And which I think that's, that's a human thing. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's super exciting because then you, you get um, into the difficulty of language, which, uh, The curious about Wittgenstein, he's uh, talked about how how you use language to convey information. And I've just come off a meeting where there were four really, really intelligent and thoughtful and wonderful people with me on the call. And we had a problem to, thought, to solve that it seemed very simple to me. But every time I explained it and, and then the guys responded, it was like, I can't bring this across. It's, it's <laughs> simple. If I could just transfer it from my head into their head, it would be so easy. So this... I had to put it through my mouth in a language. They had to hear it, make up the image that I had in my head and their head. And it's all mm. feels also imprecise. And that's probably also a reason why it's very difficult to do more abstract jobs like we are doing. Um, because the abs- more abstract it gets, you can't, you can't look at a model. You, you wouldn't have seen the work before. Yeah. So the more abstract work gets and the less repetitive it gets the harder it gets to deal with the information and process the information you have. Like if you have to build a bridge and you've done it 10 times and you see what it looks like and what the materials are and how they behave, it's easy. But if you have to react to a complex market situation and you produce something abstract like software that you can't see, it's way harder to do this, uh, this abstract information exchange between people. And that's where more uncertainty comes in. And that's where you should, again, go back to smaller batches and learn your way through that. You know, what, what, one, of the, one of the things that, that you all, uh, you and Barry and everyone always gets down to is that you really need like autonomous teams of people working on solving these problems, right? The gigantic organization can't make your software better, <laughs> to put it in yeah. stark terms. And, and like, yeah. so, so first, let's, let's start kind of in a weird order, but like what, 
in your experience, like what are those autonomous teams? What what does that mean? It's like a unicorn in my world. So yeah, the the idea is, and and that's what I, so that's what I learned. And I try, when I spoke to a lot of people and did a lot of research, that's what people come back to say, you need autonomous teams and you also need their boundaries really clearly defined because the more autonomous Mm. they are, the less they have to wait for others. So you increase speed and productivity and the less they have to ask and and inform others so your meetings goes down your decision making becomes faster because you don't wait for other teams or other other influential uh, people or people who have an accountability like in in banking you have people who have um have certain certified roles and they have to make decisions and prove them so you have to go back and wait for their answer so yeah the idea is let's get autonomous teams but the more you work through that, the harder it becomes to understand how you in practice you can make it happen. Right. It's really hard because on the one hand, it means sometimes, do you need, does that mean you need more staff sometimes? If you, for example, want to put a, a risk person into every single team who looks at the risk all the time, does that mean I suddenly need more risk people? Or you might have SMEs or people with specific decision-making accountability and you've only got one of them. So how do you how do you do it if you've got ten teams that want to be autonomous, but they all need an answer from this one person? So the the idea of autonomy is is great. I think the eternal challenge is for organizations. What what team structure do you put in place to maximize autonomy? But but don't sort of. Um, if you opt- optimize on autonomy, you don't. What's the opposite of optimize? You don't unoptimize uh, for. I'm yeah. afraid, I can just say weird words that you don't. You don't unoptimize for other things so badly that the optimizing for autonomy doesn't doesn't outweigh the the, the sort of the negative benefits you make for other things like more cost or um, or other challenges. And then, and that's the bit I think that many organizations are trying to crack and. When I ask people, people who have done this way more times than me, what's the organizing principle of how you set up your product teams to make them autonomous? You get a raft of answers or non-answers. Some people say, we've just done it by our business products, like our banking products, a credit card, a loan, a mortgage. Other people say, "Um, we've done it by our technology stack. Um, Other people say, We've done it by our customer needs. Then others say we've done it by our customer channels. So we've got a mobile part, a security yeah. part. And some people say by, by value streams. So onboarding customers, new customers, service customers, customers leaving. And that's sort of the bit I think that's really hard to crack for organizations. How do you organize them so you maximize autonomy and you and you really therefore unlock the whole thing about meetings, about speed to production and about productivity and happiness ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a veritable uh, like spider diagram of spider diagrams. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that That's why like experience like yours is always interesting to me is it, it's very like um, uh, not, it can't be textbook <laughs> in, yes, in, in the exactly. sense of like, you have to like adapt the, this, this bucket full of good ideas to something that is actually not only, not only viable in the sense that you can do them in the organization, 
but again, going back to what we were saying, that's focused on the, uh, the outcome that you have, right? Like following these practices to the T to, 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 you know, to the textbook list is actually not good if it doesn't get you the outcome that you want. (laughs) And, and that's, yeah. And it's sometimes not possible. Like I haven't gotten a good answer. I ended up with a very wise guy who um, was the CEO of Skyscanner. He said, it doesn't matter. Just start somewhere and then (laughs) correct your way forward. And that's what we're doing. We started, it's better. We found now just start somewhere and just start doing it and then iterate your way exactly the whole theory. We started somewhere and we're iterating our way. We knew we wouldn't get it right. The only thing we knew was the product teams we started with won't be the ones we end up with. And we've started and we're going to build our way through that and, and learn and see what works for our organizations. If, if you take the perspective that um, let's just call them management, you know, the people who kind of like are not necessarily just first level managers, but are running the whole organization or, you know, who, mm-hmm. who yeah. head of transformation or SVP of this or, or whatever, <laughs> like yeah. how, how do they get comfortable with iterating over the shape and the essence of their organization? Right. Cause it seems like a lot of people in management positions are comfortable with like just a machine that runs <laughs> and, and, and like, you're kind of proposing that like, let's tinker with it and change it around. And like, we're actually programming the machine. So, or, or I don't know. I mean, are management people like up for trying whatever, but, or, or not, or like, how do you get them to do that? Well, of course our managers are, they're cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I think, uh, I think you've got different people. You've got some people who've seen the value of this new way of working elsewhere, or they've come from other places where it worked and they're curious and excited and they're up for it. And those are the guys you start with or who start themselves. In our case, we had some amazing people just starting to work and, and help and work in that way. So you start with um, start with these guys, you try it out in a pocket and you see if it works and what it does. and then. You can, you can either celebrate success straight away and show the other people who maybe are wondering what this is all about, what the stars and that it works, or you fail either small or epically, and then you, you have learned something and you adjust and you do it again. Eventually, you get somewhere. And So the idea in my mind is you, you, you show the organization that what it is, how it works, and how it, how it adds value. And of course, it's quite hard because the organization isn't set up to support it. Or that's what we found. Our processes aren't set up. Mm. There was a point in time, it's changed now, but there was a point in time where our culture wasn't set up to do that. Um, our technology stack, our supplier, how we worked with tech suppliers wasn't set up to work in this way. So the first teams had quite a tough challenge and you had to really support and incubate them. And they had more problems than they, they should have had or would have had now, for example. But that's the starting point. Try it somewhere with people that are enthusiastic and that are okay with it not going perfectly and then show the value and build it out. And and also show the value outside of the organization. We did a go-see with Rabobank for senior management and I was amazed that people are still talking about it months later um, and it really hit home and people could see, really experience how this is working somewhere else it's real it's not just a myth it's not just a unicorn other people are doing it and they're having success with it so that helps as well mm, yeah yeah you, you know like drawing it together maybe with uh the the meatware information theory 
Like, yeah. Like what's the difference between, I'll use the word verbalizing loosely, putting into words, whether it's, whether it's written or speaking or whatever, but like verbalizing, we should transform and change versus what you were just saying, of, which is sort of like witness this, right? Like, I'm not going to tell you anything, but just watch what's going on here. Like, that's a different way of transmitting information, right? That, that it's must data. It's, it's undisputable data. And that's the yeah. difference. You can, it's undisputable. I mean, people will still find a way to dispute it. Like, we, we, set, <laughs> <laughs> we set up a team and they said, yeah, but that's a small team. They work on a set of infrastructure where it's easier to release code. It's, uh, it's different. So that's why it worked. So yeah, fair enough. But that's true, but still, it has worked. Um, and then people can, you know, there, there's, a, there's also an op- opinion and perception. So you can also do things to, you need to do things to celebrate successes. And you need to show people, look, we've done this. And of course, this is all the stuff that went wrong. But look, here's all the cool things we've achieved with that. So you need to, I think you need to visualize it. And you're right, you can talk about it. Talking, talking in my mind doesn't work. And the key sentence that unlocked this whole thing for me, and when I first heard the sentence, I had to think about it five times. But then it hit home and now I keep saying it's uh, this idea. I think it comes from... Uh, from the Toyota study, you have to act your way to a new way of thinking rather than think your way to a new way of acting. Mm, yeah. So words, do it and it'll start becoming different. Don't try and think about what you're going to do. Do it first and then it'll become the new norm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To put it in a, a, a hokey way I use every now and then, like if you, uh, if, if you, uh, if you don't change you're not going to change. Yes, <laughs> right. exactly. That's, but, that's maybe way but, faster to explain than my convoluted sentence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I always run as fast a convolution, so to speak, as possible. <laughs> that's that's where I feel most comfortable. Lots of ambiguity and, and convolutedness. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, and and you know, you uh, uh, you 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 talked about this in in uh, you know, you, you and Barry did a little a little webinar, and this top this comes up a lot. Uh, all over the area of transformation, but it's almost like what you have to do as management is just baldly engineer a couple of successful projects, right? Like it almost doesn't really matter what the projects are. You just need like, let's say one to two successful projects that you can point at. (laughs) And like at at some point there's this critical moment where the only thing you can do is point you can only point at it and and you, if you can't do that, you're not going to get beyond that. And so it's really important to have those, uh, those initial projects, which, which begs the question. So how do you do that? <laughs> how do you, how do you, how do you get those bootstrap projects and how do you look around and find those? Um, you, you pick, I got, I got some amazing advice from someone who's, who does this a lot. Um, and the advice was pick a, pick a project or pick an initiative that isn't your top one, two, or three in the organization. That's still important enough. So maybe it's your fourth priority. It's important enough that people care about it happening, but not so important that all eyes are on it. So the idea is basically um, if you get a little less eyes on it, you can make things happen and people don't feel the pressure top down but it's important enough that you also get the resources and the support for it to happen. And 
And that's kind of what, what we did. We picked one of those and we, we, we had luckily enough some people who were really enthusiastic about championing it. So you need that. You need a champion. You need someone um, in the business and, and technology who's curious and open to do this and who, who wants to try something. And we were lucky enough to have that. And that's gone really, really well. One of the things we just launched last week is an incredible gift cards experience on Tesco, a digital gift cards experience. That's really absolutely amazing. Have a look at it. Um, it's different from most of the things that are on the market. And that came up from this very first product team that we set up. So they are making strides now. They release uh, features regularly and they've delivered something truly truly amazing to delight customers so so i'm really proud of that team and um they've had so many cool experiences and, and things that i didn't even expect um for example at one point the the then product manager um contacted me and said i said hey how did it go today and she said ah you know what we did something really crazy we uh, all went sketching together for uh, for the ux design and by all well, I mean, the engineers sketched with our designers. They actually sketched. And uh, you know what? They had really good ideas. <laughs> People were absolutely shocked that the engineers were, I mean, the sketches, I got photos of the sketches. The engineer sketches didn't look as cool, but uh, the ideas <laughs> and the sketches were really good. And the whole, this whole, we would have never ever thought about the idea of, of if you're not trained in this, you don't do it. The idea of someone doing the job, so to speak, of someone else or doing it together didn't really enter our mind. And it was mind-blowing for us to see what happens when you do that. Yeah, that's an interesting... I, I think I think it's connected, but that's, a, that's an interesting example of the idea that, uh, in all meanings of the word, that like you want to have, you know, you want to make sure you manage a fair amount of diversity into your team, right? And yeah. and, and then, you know, what you're going over in my mind at least seems like, the next stage of that. <laughs> so <laughs> when we have different different roles and skills and stuff, it's it's almost a little, I can't wrap my mind around it, but like we also can at the same time be so homogenous that we all are can sketch something. <laughs> right? Like yeah. like so, but we have it from like a different perspective and like a different input on it, even though we have kind of the yeah. same skill of sketching. But it does it's also, you know, there, there's there's lots of talk now. There's always talk, not just nowadays, of like, I can't hire the right people, right? This is always like an extremely high thing in every single survey that I read. And, you know, may, maybe it's just using your example that metaphorically, you're not asking the developers to go sketch, <laughs> right? Like, you yeah. just you just have to kind of like, pull out the skills, uh, or the abilities that yeah. you already have there. Yeah, and and also be enjoy the fact that people come at it from different angles. We can go back to information all the time, how the, how the developers, the, the framework in their mind of how they process information is driven by what they know is possible and what they've seen maybe elsewhere system-wise. The designers um, shape the, the sketches by what, what they've seen is beautiful, what, what works, what, mm. what is efficient from a user experience and, um, what maybe delights users. And if you bring them both together with their different mindsets, so you feed the same information through two different inf types of information processors, you end up with a much, with two pictures. And if you can bring them together, you've got a richer picture in the end. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, uh, what's the guy's name? De Bono? It's like automating uh, lateral thinking. 
you're just sort yes. of like you're like randomly <laughs> putting together things to see yeah. what uh maybe not, yeah. a, not you don't want to get two william burroughs on it but you can get a random idea <laughs> uh collaboration thing but huh yeah so so speaking of you know an- another uh, to to switch topics a little bit another thing that comes up all the time and you and you mentioned it uh, a while ago is basically just like let's just call it compliance right like the, mm-hmm. the i i think i you, <clears throat> you kind of described it well in the sense of in in most large organizations there is often a person that has to say yes or no <laughs> or or there's a yeah. third thing which is like i deem this okay <laughs> right like <Yeah>. this, this <laughs> i i certify this is this is following yes whatever procedures we have or whatever and that is very often a a problem <laughs> for people who <laughs> want to transform how they do software and i i mean what's first of all what what's been your experience with like how that becomes a an issue or or a problem that needs to be dealt with um, so you will be pleased to hear that we don't just have one person. We have three layers of compliance. Mm. And uh, that's healthy because we are we are a regulated financial institution. So we've got not just one, but three layers of that. And um, But I have to say we've got actually three awesome layers because they're all curious and really wanting to do this differently and really want to be part of this, of this ways of working journey. So amazing to start with. Um, the the challenges that you get is that um, it adds a layer to process, obviously, which means a speed challenge. And also, if you add that layer very late in the process of delivering um, value, delivering a project, let's say, the higher the chance that someone then says, well, hold on, what you've done here doesn't work. You can't do that. And therefore, you have to unravel the whole thing. And the, and Normally, compliance comes in reasonably far at the end. And as you will well know, the more time and money you've spent on a program, the harder and more expensive it becomes to unravel what you've done. Mm. So that's the challenge you would face in the past. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, al- it's almost like uh, you need to, as they say, shift left the compliance stuff, right? Like have, yeah. have it involve more mm-hmm. in the uh, the start of it. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. It, it it always seems like and and I like the way you're putting it like you know you need your it's nice if your compliance people are actually interested in optimizing <laughs> and yeah. and not not only optimizing but like doing work that is interesting I I don't know I mean it's hard for me to put it that way but that's like what at an individual level so much of like transformation comes down to like would you rather be bored or do something that's interesting? Because <laughs> <Right? laughs> so I should stop putting it that way. <laughs> you, you, you just need like the motivation to like, like you need you need management to basically make it however you want to phrase it, make it okay to take risks or to put it in like a funner way, make it okay to play around. And then once yeah. you have that, it's sort yeah. of like doing make things interesting, right? Like just like go sketch something or like as a compliance person go like talk to a programmer <laughs> and or or even even more importantly vice versa right like yeah. go and like see what's happening but yeah that, and, that yeah and that's that's what we've tried to do really we've we've and actually we didn't really have to try very hard the the teams really came to the party and really wanted to be in the party so 
what we've tried to do is um, so what what everybody tells me again I did my research what everybody tells me um, you know normally you have and we've experienced that you've got these big um, big meetings um, when you try to release for example a piece of software and there sit um, ten people they all give their opinion and if one is on holiday maybe you miss an opinion that would have been really important but we of course don't. Um, so you have all these people, you have to wait for this big meeting, this committee, then they accept that you can put something live and then you go and do it. Everybody says to me, you need to try and, and, and automate all that. You need to take away these meetings because they can be opinion-based or if someone's not in the meeting, it'll be difficult um, for you to hit all, all the things you need to hit to, to really be sure you're compliant, automate it or self-serve it. So we've we've started trying to do that, but of course you're your technology doesn't grow overnight. So it's very hard. This whole theory that people tell you automate all your compliance or your route to life and all your approvals, that's really wonderful theory, but the organization needs to grow. The technology needs to grow. The processes need to adapt to be able to do that. And the people, of course, need to understand how that works and what it means for how their work changes. So I think the biggest insight I had on compliance and, and on, on, on engaging um, these teams is to start engaging them early so they understand really in the teams, they help and develop and grow with the teams what it is they're trying to produce, what features, what solutions, and they're starting to become partners. Of course, critical partners, they have to be, but they're still partners. They don't write an audit or a risk report at the end of the program. They actually say, have you thought about this all the way through? Have you thought about that? Have you considered that? Why are you doing it this way? So they've become partners. And then the next step is, where can you start to, to self-serve a bit more? So they don't have mm -hmm. to be there all the time or you don't have big meetings, but you start to say, okay, you know what? If you follow this and this and this rule, you don't have to speak to me, compliance officer. But if you think you can't follow any of them, you talk to me by exception. So what are the rules that we can start to create for people? And if they read them, they just, and I say, yeah, I'm following them. So I don't need to speak to you compliance. That's to me the next step. And then eventually you get to automation. Yeah, that's a good, like, would you call it a heuristic, a rule of thumb of yeah. how I, the, the ideals are wrong word, but, but a more helpful way of doing compliance is compliance by, exception or corner case in the sense of, yes. I, mean, I mean, the way you described it is great. Like I want to set up the system. So you only talk to me when things are weird, <laughs> right? Like, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and and then, you can then apply that for many teams and you can apply it use that for us for compliance, but also for design, for example. So it means you go to a design authority for everything. You just go when you want to break the design rules. Well, let's see, what would be the last question? I know, I know. You, 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 were, you, were, sending, you were quoting Nietzsche at me in, a, in an email, which, which is fun. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, <laughs> so, so, so what's the deal? He's, he lived in or he's from your hometown? Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I was born in Weimar and um, Nietzsche spent a lot of his time. He lived here. So um, the thing is, if you grow up as a teenager in a town where nihilism was basically invented, that, uh, that is an awesome combination for teenagers. <laughs> I am obviously heavily influenced. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I guess there's little plaques everywhere, uh, and yes. uh, and and then eventually he he disappeared into the Alps, never never yes, to uh, return again, as I recall. 
Yeah, he did, and he he did. Uh, I, I gave you my favorite quote, which it just doesn't sound very eloquent in English, but it's something like, um, "You have to have uh, chaos left in you to be able to give birth to a dancing star." And uh, when I said this to you, I had this light bulb moment, thinking, "This is exactly what new ways of working is about. You need to give people some space so that they can be innovative and creative." So yeah, back, yeah. Back to Nietzsche already knew all this. <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. And, and I think, you know, another, another topic uh, that I've been talking with people a lot recently about is, um, you know, you got the you got the you got the virus crisis and how it just like an external crisis is can be that chaos to drive a lot of positive change, even though it's yeah. overall a bad thing. And and you bringing up that quote was reminding me of another, you know, I wouldn't say my favorite. Does one have a favorite Nietzsche thing ever? It's more of just when you're bemused. No, there are too many. Yeah, yeah. And, but <laughs> I think it was, I forget if it was in like, you know, Beyond Good and Evil or whatever, Human All Too Human or something. But there's an introduction where he basically like, it's like a classic like internet rant where he's like, man, I've been sick for a long time. And he just complains about how sick and moody he's been. And at the very yeah. end, he's like, yeah, but then I was really sick and it made me walk around. And as I was walking around, I thought about all this crazy stuff. And like, I was in so much pain, I could never really like write more than like three sentences. He doesn't say it this clearly, of course. He's never clear about anything. But yeah. but that basically, like, that's why I write in aphorisms, because like, I can only write like three sentences before I just like, you know, got to go take some more weird tonic on my desk. And it, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's an interesting thing of like, you have all these crises happening and sure it's really annoying and might make you bedridden metaphorically or literally, but like, it's also good to figure out like, so what is this forcing me to do that was either uncomfortable before or like I didn't have to, or, you know, like it's, yeah. it's good to make use of a, uh, a crisis. So That's there you brilliant. go. Digital transformation okay. driven by Nietzsche. That's uh I, I think we're on to something. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Well, well, thanks for taking the time to uh, to be on. If people wanted to, uh, I don't know, check out that white paper or other stuff you're doing, what what, what would you point them at? Uh, point them at, at LinkedIn, my profile, Jana Werner one at LinkedIn. We oh. love, love to get feedback and messages. And um, I'm really happy to enter into some conversations and share some battle scars and, and ideas. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's good. And I'll, I'll, I'll put a link to it uh, for sure in the show notes. Uh, but yeah, Super. thanks again. As always, this has been a, a Software Defined interviews. If you want to get the show notes for it, just go to softwaredefinedtalk.com. And uh, I don't know the show number, but you can look it up and find links to all of that stuff. And we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.